0: morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, If you've got your Bibles, you can turn in uh, 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. Um, It's in the Old Testament towards the back. Um, We've been in our series uh, called In the Lord's Sight. Uh, That series is talking about that phrase that we see over and over again in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles. God says, in the Lord's sight as it relates, or in the Lord's eyes as it relates to the leaders of Israel, both kings and prophets, which we're kind of seeing the prophets come on the scene more and more as Israel becomes more and more, and Judah becomes more and more uh, unrighteous and stops following the Lord. And the question for us is, what would God say about us in His sight? You know, someday we're going to stand before the Lord, and every day we stand before the Lord if He's given us new mercies, and we have to decide, you know, how are we in the Lord's sight? In Christ, there's truths about who we are, that if we know Jesus, then we are forgiven, we are justified, we are loved, we are cared for. There's a whole list of things that Christ keeps the wrath of the Father away from us because of his sacrifice and his payment. But at the same time, Christ loves us enough to say like he does to the people in the Old Testament, I don't like what you're doing in my sight. This is not appropriate in my sight. And that's what we find over and over again as we look through the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles. This morning, what I want to talk about is a phrase that you've probably said in your life. If you haven't, I promise you. I promise you, you will say it at some point. If you haven't said it yet, you will say it multiple times if God keeps you around. And here it is. I've had enough. I've had enough. And we're going to read this morning about Elijah, the prophet. He says these exact words, right? He comes to a place where he's like, I've had enough. And it comes out of the most weird time and circumstances that if you would think that if any moment in a person's life, you wouldn't say the phrase, I've had enough, it would have been at the moment that Elijah says, I've had enough. And that happens to us a lot. It creeps up on us, right? Things are going well things are happening, like we're walking with the Lord, and then something happens that kind of takes us off kilter, and all of a sudden we're just like, God, I'm done. i had enough. I'm finished with this, like, and and it's like, wait a minute. What about everything I just did in your life? What about everything I've done over your lifetime? Like, now you're going to give up? You see this in relationships all the time, that people will be married 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. One of the highest. New highest divorce rates in our culture are people married over 20 or 25 years. That that group is increasing in the divorce rate. Like, really? After 25 years, now you've had enough? Like, it's like we come to this place where we don't care how we are seen in God's sight. We don't care. It's like, I'm about me now. And I'm about me now means... I've had enough of everyone and everything and anything God would ask me to do, and so I am done, and all of you can just go to and fill in the blank. And that's what we do. And that's kind of what Elijah does. And we're going to see that this morning, and he has good reason. But if you think about it, when we really look at our hearts, it says a lot about our hearts when we tell God we've had enough with all he's put up with in our lives in our world, in his people's lives, and all, especially under the new covenant in Jesus, everything that Jesus showed us that he fulfilled in the Old Testament, everything that Christ did on our behalf, we'll see this morning that Jesus doesn't do anything or, or, or do anything to anyone, you, me, or anyone else that he isn't willing to take on himself and doesn't take on himself. Jesus is still in heaven holding back the wrath of the Father, waiting for the Father for him to say go because he hasn't had enough yet. Not enough people have repented and come to know him. And so he holds back the wrath of God while God's work is still happening and the Holy Spirit is still doing his work so that you might have an opportunity to receive Christ and go to heaven. Because he hasn't had enough yet. And yet we're going to look at God and say, I've had enough. Man, be very careful when we get there. And I hope you can see that God understands that there are times when we get there and he sends us encouragement that we'll see this morning that is encouragement that we have to embrace. And if we don't, then we're going to do really dumb things that cost us dearly. First Kings, remember where we're at. We've got the southern kingdom, tribes of Judah, and then Benjamin's connected to them. The place of worship is Jerusalem where the temple is and the ark The king at the time is Jehoshaphat. He is a very righteous king, more righteous than than since the day of David, more righteous than his father Asa, who was a righteous king. He actually, if you remember last week we looked at, taught and sent teachers out into the entire southern kingdom to teach them the word of God again and to get them to know what God's word says instead of, hey, listen to the king. He's like, no, listen to God's word. That's incredible, the revival that he sent out among its people. And then you have the northern kingdom. Those are the kingdoms that rebelled. They re- rebelled against God, and God told them in the rebellion, hey, if you'll still come to Jerusalem and worship and do what I ask you to do, I will bless you, and I-, I will make you a great nation until I bring unity. I bring things back together. And of course, they didn't. They created Bethel and Dan and two temples there with two golden caps. And now we come to a place where the Bible says that Ahab and his wife Jezebel are ruling with an iron fist, and God sends them the prophet Elijah to speak to them. And we looked at that a little bit last week. In 1 Kings 16.30, it says this about Ahab in the northern kingdom. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, more than all who were before him. And in 2 Chronicles 17, while we're going to look at what Ahab was doing in his kingdom, this is what was happening in the southern kingdom in 2 Chronicles 3, it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, those are the foreign gods, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. So he literally was looking at the practices that were happening and saying to his people, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. And if you don't think that causes a fight... If you don't think that causes problems, if you don't think that people look at that and say, who do you think you are, you're crazy. Because that's what ends up happening over and over again. And remember, Ahab in the northern kingdom has created kind of a border that he doesn't even allow anyone to cross to go worship God. Because Ahab has basically said, I've had enough of that southern kingdom. I've had enough of Yahweh. I've had enough of his ways. We're going to do our own ways. We're going to go to the baals and the asher and the other idols of our world, and we're going to chase those things because I've had enough of God. I've had enough of the way He does things, and I'm finished with Him. And that's where you find Ahab and Jezebel. You see the map that kind of lays out what this looks like. You see Bethel in the middle. Jericho. Bethel is where the, one of the calves uh, of worship and places of worship was. They just rebuilt Jericho. We talked about that. It cost a man two two of his sons' lives to do that, and there's Jerusalem. And so they didn't have to travel far from the northern kingdom to go worship in Jerusalem, but Ahab said, no way, you're not going there. And he kept people from worshiping God. So 1 Kings 18.18, we pick up the story of where Elijah was. Remember, Elijah has been living with a widow. The widow we saw last week was given a, a jar of oil and flour and it continued to produce, and during this famine, because Elijah said there would be a famine until God brought rain, and God told him to go up to Zarephath in the northern kingdom, northern part of the northern kingdom, and so he fled there to hide. We find out he goes to Zarephath, he's up there, and then the widow's son dies, and Elijah brings the son back to life, the first person coming from dead to life that we see in the Bible. Of course, That wasn't really the true resurrection. It was a temporary resurrection because her son just died again later, right? So it's not the true resurrection, but it is a type of resurrection or coming back to life. And now, after a long time, it's been about three years, after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, go and present yourself to Ahab, I will send rain on the surface of the land. What a day to preach this message. I should have known that if I was going to preach this today, we shouldn't have scheduled our picnic on today, right? But, you know, you learn. So here we go. And then it says, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria, in that middle part of the map. Very severe. A severe famine is going on. Famine isn't like things are dry. Famine is things have been dry for multiple years and there's nothing to eat. That's a famine. They are having a famine. Elijah's hiding out. He actually went to Ahab and told Ahab, there's going to be a famine because of your wickedness. And then he just disappears for three years, right? So we pick up the story. It says, in the midst of this famine, Ahab's like, man, I got to find a solution, right? Right? So in the midst of a second when you've had enough of the problems of our world, what do you do? Well, you probably are a lot more like Ahab than you like to admit, because here's what Ahab does. Ahab called for Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace, and Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord. Things are finally bad enough, so you call the pastor. You call that Christian you know, that person who walks with God, and you're like, hey, I I need your help. Now you don't cry out to God, you don't go to Jerusalem and sacrifice, you don't surrender your life, you don't recognize, no, 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 you want the spiritual dude to take care of it. See this is a lot of the way that people treat Jesus. I'm just going to ask Jesus to come into my life, he's just going to come, he's going to be there, it's going to be great, and he's just going to let me do whatever I want. And then I just, you know, get the Jesus people whenever I need help because I'm good, I got Jesus and I don't have to go to church, I don't have to be obedient, I don't to do nothing because I got Jesus. The Bible says if that's your attitude, I don't know if you have Jesus. You might. I I can't judge salvation. I don't know whose heart is and who isn't Christ, but I am a fruit inspector. So are you. The Bible calls us to look at fruit. You do it every day when you go to the grocery. You look at a piece of fruit. You're like, and you put it back. Or you say, ooh, yeah, and you take it, right? We are fruit inspectors. And just because the fruit doesn't look ripe or, or right doesn't mean it isn't. You might be pleasantly surprised. You might get a nice beat up kind of deformed watermelon, cut it open, it's the best one you ever tasted, right? It might be, but normally if it's beat up and deformed, you're like, it's going to be bad when I open this thing up. And so Ahab calls on, he's he's so desperate, he finally calls on someone who fears the Lord. Now you got to remember, Obadiah is living in the northern kingdom of Israel. There were a lot of people that over the last several decades have moved to the Southern Kingdom. They've left. They got out fast when they saw where it was going. When the two calves came up, remember we read that, a bunch of people migrated to the Southern Kingdom, gave up all their land, all their promised land, and their their family land that was given to them, and they just left, and they went to the Southern Kingdom. They're like, we are not going to tolerate this. But see, God doesn't ask everyone to do that. See, God asks some people to stay. And he has some people to, like, represent him, and it's going to be really hard, and it may cost you your life, and that's exactly what we see happening here. And so Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord. Ahab knew that. He knew he was desperate. He knew he had to call on someone, and he also knows that, as we see in a little bit, that his wife's... 850 prophets that she feeds and makes sure that they don't have famine and make sure they're taken care of, it's not working. Her Baal and Asherah prophets that she brings into the palace to eat and feed 850 at her table, it's not working. So Ahab finally says, I might want to ask someone else. And isn't this how so often people end up finally turning to the Lord? They've tried everything else, every relationship. Every financial plan, everything else, and finally, in desperation, they turn. And isn't it amazing that when they do it, God still shows up. That he's not like, nope, I've had enough of you. He still shows up in your life and in my life. He is. That blows me away. Because I don't deserve for that. Ahab doesn't deserve, Obadiah should look at him and be like, I hope you die. You're a wicked man. I mean, he should. And here's what happens. It says, How do we know that Obadiah feared the Lord? Look at what he did. He took a hundred prophets and hid them, 50 men to a cave and provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. Ahab said to Obadiah, go throughout the land to every spring of water and every wadi. Okay, a wadi is like a ravine or a channel, you know, where water could or might be found, right? Like the low parts that you go to and maybe we'll find some water there because it flows down, so to speak. There's also another thing called a wadi, which is an aboriginal war club in Australia. That's not the wadi we're talking about. It's spelled different. So just so you know. And so here you have Obadiah setting out because there's no water. They're just trying to find water somewhere. Jezebel has slaughtered the prophets of God that are left in the northern kingdom. She probably slaughtered those priests and prophets because they were telling them to stop. And Jezebel's like, don't tell me what to do. I'll show you. And she killed them off. And Obadiah used his own resources and had to hide it to make sure that some of God's prophets were saved and cared for so that they could pray and seek the Lord on behalf of his nation and his people. That's how much he feared the Lord. He was willing to risk his life to be sure that God's people and specifically God's prophets were taken care of and his priests. That is a surrendered man because had it been found out, Jezebel would have had his head and it would have been over. And he goes on and he says, perhaps we'll find grass so we can keep the horses and mules alive and not have to destroy any cattle. Ahab's like, we're getting to the point where there's nothing left to eat. We're going to have to destroy the things that we trust in for military power and to grow crops. The cattle don't help us because we're not planting anything. And then pulling stuff, pulling plows, we just need to kill them. When you start killing those types of things, it says you're desperate. It says there's no hope anymore. I don't keep, like we just got to eat them. Eat the horses is where they're at. It's so bad. And Ahab's like, I'm not even looking for water. I just want to find grass. It's so desperate. Have you ever been that desperate in your life? You ever been that desperate where you've come to the place where you know what, I've had enough. I'll try anything. I'll, I'll send people out to, to try to figure this out because it's just not working. If you haven't, I promise you will be. It goes on in 1 Kings, and it says, they divided the land between them in order to cover it. Ahab went one way by himself. Obadiah went another way by himself. While Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. Out of nowhere, Elijah pops up. He's been gone three years. Probably everybody thinks he's dead. He's dead. Like God, or God took him. Like he came, told us how awful we were, and then phew, gone. Okay, here we are. Later, Elijah actually gets taken that way. He actually gets taken on a fiery chariot, whoo, and disappears. Like, and so he just appears. When Obadiah recognized him, look at what he does. He fell with his face to the ground and said, is it you, my Lord Elijah? It is I, he replied. It is I. Go tell your Lord, Elijah is here. So here you have Obadiah, Elijah shows up, Obadiah is amazed, he's like, wow, there's hope, you're alive, you're the one that said, no rain until when? You come and tell us it's going to rain. By the way, you can always tell a true prophet because what they say comes true. It had not rained for three years because Elijah said it wasn't going to rain. And now he's getting ready to go back and tell them it's going to rain and it's going to rain. In the Old Testament, if a prophet said something and it didn't happen, they were executed. We need to learn that lesson a little bit in our day. We need to be careful when we think we have words from the Lord and we give those to people and we say them, because when we say things like that, we're held accountable to it, and we should be held accountable. And the same, that when people write books and tell us all this future stuff and all this stuff that's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen, don't buy another one of their books until you see them repent from the first one. I'm sorry, repent from the first book that you were wrong, and then I'll read your second one. Don't let them just reapply, well, I didn't mean that, I meant this. And I, no, you said this was going to happen at Y2K. You said the world was going to melt down, we all needed to get ready. I went and like, built a bunker in my backyard and prepped it, and I got canned goods for three years, and Y2K, nothing happened. Well, yeah, but it's going to happen someday, and that's what I really meant. No, you said it was going to happen when the, when the millennium changed. Do you repent of that? Well, no, 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 no. I just, be careful. It goes on. It says this, but Obadiah said, <laughs> what sin have I committed that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord God, your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent someone to search for you. When they said he's not here, he made that kingdom or nation swear they had not found you. I don't know how he made them swear, but I'm sure it involved some torture. I'm sure it involved some pretty wicked stuff to get them to swear. He had been searching for Elijah for three years to kill him, to get rid of him. This guy has caused this drought. He did this. Did Elijah cause the drought? What did Elijah do? He just said what God said. And isn't it amazing? That's how we end up getting through. We just say what God says, and then people hate us and want to kill us. I just said what God said. I'm not trying to like be mean to you. It's just what God said. And so Obadiah knows, and this isn't, by the way, Obadiah the prophet of the Old Testament. This is a different Obadiah. Obadiah knows that if he goes to Ahab and says, hey, I saw Elijah, he's going to be like, I'm killing you, you knew about this. He he gets it. He's thinking in his head, I've had to hide a hundred prophets, I've been really careful how to keep my life, I've been playing this game where I, I kind of just make sure I survive, and now Elijah comes along and says, uh, I've had enough of your survival game, it's time for you to risk it all, go tell Elijah I'm here, or go tell Ahab I'm here. And Obadiah's like, well, but I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing the right thing, I thought I, he, uh. uh and he's stuck. He goes on and says this, now you say go tell your Lord Elijah's here? Really? You, 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 you want me to go tell him you're here? Like, this is good news. Like, oh boy, isn't it wonderful? You see, even Obadiah thinks the reason you want me to do this and the reason you're making this hard for me, you ready for this? is not because God wants to work through me and do something amazing and be part of a miracle. It's because I've committed some kind of sin and you're punishing me because I wasn't righteous enough and I stayed in Israel and I didn't go to the Southern Kingdom and I didn't. And so this is my punishment now, isn't it? Because I haven't been good enough. You ever been there when you've had enough? When You've had enough and you start self-blaming and, that I'm, you know, and God's like, I'm trying to like work with you here. I'm trying to show you who I am. I'm trying to help you. And you're like, no, it's because it's just awful. And God's like, I'm getting ready to do something amazing. And I want you to be a part of it. And all we can see is ourselves. All we can see is the problem. All we can see is that we've had enough. That's Obadiah. Because they're in desperate times. then he says, but when I leave you, the spirit of the Lord may carry you off to some other place. I don't know. Obadiah's like, Yeah, you tell me to go tell him. You say you're coming, but how do I know God's not going to be like, hey, Elijah, leave Obadiah out to dry. You just run away. And we're the same way. We think the same thing. We think if I do this, if I obey God, he's not going to be there. It's going to cost me. He's going to be, it's not going to go. I mean, we have all these same thoughts Obadiah does. Instead of just saying, okay, I'll go do it. And I recognize the cost. I recognize it can happen, but I'm going to trust you, Elijah, because you said it wasn't going to rain for three years. And it hasn't rained for three years. And nobody else does that on a regular basis, so that's pretty amazing. So I think I can trust you because you've proven yourself trustworthy. He goes on and he says, then when I go to report to Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Wasn't it reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophet? I hit a hundred of the prophets of the Lord, men to a cave, and I provided them, 50 men to a cave, with food and water. Now you say, go tell your Lord, Elijah's here? He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand today, I will present myself to Ahab. I know you will, but when? (laughs) I, I need this timing to be like, I show up and you're like behind me. Like, like Elijah told me to come find you. He's right there. Like, I need, I need that quick because I don't need any break between there because if there's a break, I'm the guy he's coming after, right? Like, Obadiah is feeling this tension and look at what he does. Obadiah's reasoning for not having to obey is I've been more obedient than everyone anybody else. Why don't you ask somebody else to do it? You've never said that to God, have you? But I've followed the Lord. I've done, they're not, they're not. I, I mean, I've done all of it since I was a little boy. I've done... Elijah's like, God didn't ask me to ask any of them. He asked me to ask you. By the way, you were sent out by Ahab to find something. You found me. Like, go back, go, go back and tell him you found something, Right? Look at what happens. What? Well, before that, Obadiah knows that if he does this, he's risking everything. He's risking insult, persecution, even death. That if he takes the word of the Lord to Ahab, if he tells Ahab, there is one coming, the Savior's coming, the one that can save us is coming, and he delays then I'm going to be the one that has to take the brunt of that during the waiting. Look at what Matthew 5 says. Jesus said this, You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me, the one who's coming. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Obadiah. This is how it works. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Obadiah, are you willing to be the salt and the light? I mean, I know you've been hiding out. I know you've been really careful and you've lived a righteous life and you've really protected some people, but now I'm asking you to stop protecting yourself. I'm asking you to lay it down. I'm asking you to trust me. It's exactly what Jesus said. He goes, if that's what we do as believers. And John, Jesus says this, this is what I command you, love one another. If the world hates you, Ahab hates you. Understand it hated me before it hated you. Well, of course it's going to hate you, Obadiah, because it hates Elijah. Why does it hate Elijah? Because it hates the Lord. They don't love Yahweh. They don't love his prophet. They don't love his priest. What do you think is going to happen to you? Then he goes on, he says, if you were of the world, the world would have you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Obadiah is literally just walking around looking for grass, and God sends Elijah out of nowhere to choose him. You're going to take the message. I didn't ask for this. doesn't matter. God chose you. That's the way God works. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it should really make us excited that God wants that kind of a close relationship with us, that he actually meets us, speaks with us, and calls us to himself. And then he goes on. He says, remember the word I have spoken to you. A slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Obadiah, you've been protecting yourself the whole time. I get it. It was the right thing to do for the right time. That time's over. You need to be bold. You need to step up. You need to say what needs to be said. And God does the same with us. In Matthew, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men... I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth, Obadiah. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to bring a sword to see who will submit to the fact that I have a sword. The word, right? The word and the sword always go together and those who refuse to submit to me. I love that Jesus says, Are you willing to take a stand for me? Or are you going to deny me when the time comes? We pick up the story and it says this. Obadiah was obedient. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, destroyer of Israel? (laughs) Who's... Who's doing this? Is Elijah like God? Does he have the power to just make stuff happen and rain to happen? No, God is doing it. Ahab can't see the Lord. He doesn't want to see the Lord. He just wants to see people he can manipulate and Elijah's not manipulatable and so he's upset with that. So he looks at Elijah and says, you're the one that prophesied this. You're the one that said this. It's your fault. Elijah's like, I just told you what God told me to tell you. By the way, you could have repented. When I told you, can you imagine what would have happened if Elijah would have said, hey, there's a famine coming, and Ahab would have been like, I repent. I'm kicking out all the prophets. My wife can't worship Baal anymore. We're starting over. Every time God's people do that in Scripture, he shows up. He withdraws the consequence and gives blessing almost every time. Or he shows us a greater blessing through the consequence. Ahab doesn't do that. And so here he is. It says, when Ahab saw him, he accuses him of being the destroyer. And Elijah's like, you're the destroyer. You and your wife are killing people. You're literally taking lives. I've killed no one. I actually brought a little boy back from the dead. That's how many people I haven't killed. I'm, I'm negative one on killing people at this point in my life. Right? He goes on. Elijah replies, I've not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have because you've abandoned the Lord's command and you've followed something else. You've made up your own stuff. You, you follow the Baals. By the way, you know who Baal was? Baal was the storm god, he was the god of rain. The reason Elijah said it ain't gonna rain for three years is to say, your god really stinks. Your storm god, he's really bad at being a storm god. Like, that's the point of no rain. It wasn't because I want people to starve. It's like, you guys are worshiping a certain God. I'm going to attack that one. Do you recognize in the Old Testament and Exodus, the 10 plagues that Moses um, spoke to, to Pharaoh that God brought on Egypt, all 10 of those were Egyptian gods. All of them were, were things that the Egyptians worshipped and God kept taking each one and saying, that God's not very good. That one's not very good. That one's not very good. And he does the same thing in our life. We another broken relationship, another financial problem, another, another, and God's saying, you trust me yet? Are you gonna keep chasing the next thing? Like, trust me. He goes on and he says, Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel has been making sure that 850 Baal and Asherah prophets are not going hungry and have all the opportunities to worship. By the way, the reason you need Baal and Asherah is because the way that fruit happens and the grain happens is that Baal has to have sex with Asherah and the two of them come together and then they produce the produce of the land. So by Baal being an impotent male God, who can't reproduce with his female Asherah woman, the God looks really bad, and yet they're the ones being taken care of, they're the ones not starving, they're the ones not hiding out in caves, having bread and water. Because God's getting ready to do something amazing. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered all the prophets at Mount Carmel. I love this, that Ahab's like, you know what, I'll do it. One against 850, I like my odds. Let's do it. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Why? Because we love to play both sides of the fence. I want to keep one foot with Baal in case he wins in this battle. I want to keep one foot with Yahweh in case he wins. So I can be like, oh, yeah, I was, I was with him all the time. Oh, I, I was over here with him the whole time. It's all good, right? We don't want to be on one side and just say, if God is God, then follow him. Do what he says to do. Obey him. Just, just do it. If he's God, then tell people he's God. Stand up for him. Show people who he is. Tell them about his love, his mercy, his grace, his justice. His anger, all those emotions, do it. And Elijah's like, you guys have got to make a choice. You keep following the wrong people and the wrong things. Then Elijah said to the people, I am, I, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Baal is the bull god. Bull and a dragon. Those are the two representations of Baal that you find throughout history. A bull and a dragon, okay? Baal is the bull god in this scenario. They've made two golden calves that they worship in Dan and in Bethel. And so Elijah's like, let's bring your bull god. Let's call to your bull god. Let's see how that goes. And then he says, they are to choose one bull for themselves, so I'll let them... Cut the best one. I'll let them choose the best one they want. Cut it into pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bowl, place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of Yahweh. Okay? It's a showdown. This is like high noon, showdown. They're marching out, right? The OK Corral. And it says, the God who answers with fire, he is God. All the people answered and said, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. Right? I wonder if the people were thinking, I don't think either of them are going to call down fire and we can just get out of this. Right? Like, I've never seen fire just fall from heaven and consume a sacrifice. I think we'll probably be okay. You know, let's just go watch the show and it'll be fun to watch and then just move on. I don't know. But I had my doubts that there were probably some that were like, well, I got nothing better to do. We're starving. Let's go watch the show. Right? It goes on and it says at noon, Elijah mocked them. Okay? At noon, Elijah mocked them. Now, why does he mock them? Well, because they've been marching around, cutting themselves, doing all kinds of stuff, right? Trying to get their God's attention. If you read the passage, they're cutting themselves, they're spearing themselves. I mean, blood's flowing. I mean, they got blood everywhere, all over them, all over everybody, because they got to what? Prove their dedication to their God. See, God doesn't ask us to do that. God just asks us to do simple, obedient things. He doesn't ask us to hurt ourselves, to prove ourselves to God. We do it. We try to do it. We make deals with God, right? I'll I'll sacrifice and do this if you do this. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not even God of the Old Testament. God's just like, hey, I'm God. I'd like for you to do this. And most of the time, there are people like, why? Because I asked you to. It's like a parent, right? Like, well, why'd I have to do that? Because I asked you to. I, I don't, I'm not going to explain it. Just do it. Someday I'll tell you. You're too little and you don't know anything. Just wait. And we pitch a fit about it. Here, it's like, let's, let's have the showdown. Then Elijah said to the people, I'm the only one. He lays all this out. They said it sounds good. Now the bales are cutting. And look at Elijah's response. To watching these Baal prophets for three hours dancing around, cutting themselves, making a spectacle, calling down fire, nothing's happening. At noon, Elijah mocked them. C- can you do this as a believer? Are-, are we allowed to mock people? I mean, I thought we weren't, I thought we were supposed to be the really nice people. Like really nice and kind and like there's a lot of mocking in scripture when you read it. Now, you need to be careful with what you're mocking, right? Because God, look, Elijah, Elijah's mocking people who are purposely not worshiping God. They, they are purposely trying to get other people to worship God. Like he is, and this is what he says. He says, shout loudly, for he's a God, right? Like he's God, shout louder so he can hear you. Like be really loud. Jesus said about prayers, right? That the Pharisees prayed to try to be heard. Don't do that. Go to your prayer closet quietly. Just pray to God. He'll hear you. See, we, we are more like Baal sometimes in these prophets than we like to admit. And then he goes on. Maybe he's thinking it over. Like, maybe you need to reason with him. And we do this with God. Oh, I need to reason with God. God, if I'm just telling you. Did you hear me? Like, no, look at all these verses I have for you, Jesus. They're all right here. Right? We try to reason with the Lord. And then he says, or maybe he's wandered away. Oh, Jesus feels so far away. I don't know if he hears me. I got I to do stuff to get him closer. I got to go to a big worship gathering. I got to do something to get him closer. And we even tell people that. Like go to these things to get closer to the Lord. No, go to him because there are people there they're worshiping. It's fun to worship. That's great. I don't have a problem with it. Then he goes on. He says, "Perhaps he's sleeping and we'll wake up." He's taking a little nap. Some versions say, "Perhaps he's on the toilet." Right? He's resting. He's going number two and he doesn't have time right now. Like literally, Elijah's mocking as they're cutting themselves and people are watching this and they're like, is he allowed to do that? It goes on, it says, they shouted loudly and cut themselves and all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. That's at three o'clock. The offering of the evening sacrifice, it's not talking about the Baal sacrifice. It's talking about the evening sacrifice of sin and protection and provision that you would offer in the evening in Jerusalem at the temple, or at the tabernacle, given by the Old Testament. He says, at three o'clock, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. (laughs) It's like silence. Then Elijah said to all the prophets, or people, come near to me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. So then he gets all the people together, and he says, okay, I want you to see this. Let me just tell you that the Lord, again, doesn't dish out anything he's not willing to take. When you look at Elijah mocking these prophets of Baal, remember this. In Luke twenty-two sixty-three, 63, it says, the men who are holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. You know when this started? It started at 9 a.m. in the morning. At the same time that the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves, Jesus is being mocked, and he has a trial that evening, early in the morning, and he is sent on the cross. It is simultaneous. You're going to see these events, and then it says, after blindfolding him, they kept asking him, "Prophesy! Who hit you? Is your God asleep?" And they were saying many other blasphemous things against him. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. They said, if you're the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, if I do tell you, you'll not believe. You don't listen to Elijah. You don't listen. You don't listen. And then he says, and if I ask you, will you not answer? But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They asked him, are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. What he says there is, you say Yahweh. And to say the name Yahweh in their presence, because they always didn't want to say that name because it was unholy, to say it in that moment on trial in their presence, they knew he was claiming to be God. Or he was at least claiming that God was with him and not with them, and that's why they killed him. He's saying, you're saying that I am. He goes on and says this, In Luke, it says, Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? This would have been at noon. Around noon, this would have happened. Save yourself and us. But others answered, rebuking him, the other criminal. Don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Where do we go when we die? If we know Jesus, we go to paradise with him. It's not the new heaven and new earth yet, but it is a paradise. It's a great place to be, which is with him. And I love that what Elijah is doing, Jesus himself said, if I'm going to ask him to dish it out, I'll take it. And anything he asks us to dish out, he takes Anything he asks us to do, he's already taken. Anything he wants us to do, he's already done it. He, our God doesn't ask us to do anything that he isn't willing or hasn't already done. There's no other God like that. Every other God sits on top and, and, and disseminates down and tells everybody to suffer for me, but doesn't put itself those gods in that same circumstance. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar. Israel, by the way, means wrestles with God. That's what the word means. So he's like, I built this thing that says wrestles with God, because we're here wrestling with God today, because you won't, like, worship God, It reminds them of their name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water. These were not small water pots. These probably would have been about 90-gallon water pots, 40 to 90 gallons, depending on which ones they would have used. These probably were like the ceremonial water pots. And he says, fill those, pour them on the offering, To be burned on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. Then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. I mean, this is when water is scarce. This is when water is precious, and he's asking them to pour this precious water. You've got all these starving, faminous people watching this and thinking, what a waste. What a waste that Elijah would waste this water when we're all starving and we have famine. Seems like Jesus had that issue with his disciples when a woman broke an alabaster jar, which was her dowry, and gave that up to say, I'll be single the rest of my life just so I can anoint you for burial. And Jesus said, this woman and what she did will be talked about forever because she gave everything she had because she believes I am who I am. And Elijah is asking them to give everything they've got, even the water that's sustaining them, to trust God that he will bring a sustaining It says the water ran all around the altar and even filled the trench at the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the offering of the evening, Elijah's waiting. Why? Because Elijah is an obedient man and you don't offer sacrifices willy-nilly whenever you want to offer them. You offer them according to the word of God and the word of God says offer the sacrifice at three o'clock. So I'm waiting to offer this. I'm just going to wait till three. We're waiting till three. And then he says, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you're God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Elijah says, I love this. He's not focused on himself, he's trying to say, I just want them to see that you are who you say you are. I just want them to understand that, that you are who you say you are. Look at what it says Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He's not like, answer me because I'm gonna look like a fool. Answer me because I'm afraid of what's gonna happen to me. Answer me, no, he's like, I just want people to turn back to you. That's why I'm asking you for this. I have no other motive. I, have, I just want them to know that you are who you say you are, and I want them to stop following the bales and to turn to you. Please, God, I'm pleading. you. It's been three years we've been starving, and I've been living in famine. Like, please, God. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones. It melted the stones, turned them to dust, <laughs> And the, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. It's like it's gone. Like, it wasn't like just the little offering went away. It's like there's a hole in the ground. Like a meteor came down, and it's like nothing. And then it says, then Yahweh's fire fell, consumed all of it. And then it said, when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. For the first time in decades, the people of God have said no to Baal and yes to Yahweh. Now, oh, their hearts really in it? Maybe. They may just be scared to death that that fire's going to hit them, right? So they're like... Because <laughs> they don't really follow God after this too much. And so right at the evening sacrifice, this happens. In Matthew, it says... Those who passed were yelling insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, the one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down for now from the cross and we will believe in him. He's put his trust in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am God's son. From noon, look at this, until about three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama lama sabachthani? That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah, he's calling down the fire. It's over for us. It's, good. oh no, we were wrong. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed and offered him a drink. Like we got to get, like, we got we to be nice to this guy now. We got to try to give him something. But the rest said, hold on, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit, screaming. I can't imagine that. Just, and then done. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. When the centurion, that's a lost Roman, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they were terrified and said, this man really was God's son. See, God doesn't always rescue us by fire and Elijah. Sometimes he lets us pick up our cross and follow him and trust him that in the sacrifice, God will show up. And while God consumed the bull for Elijah, God consumed his son for us so that there would be no bulls. There'd be no need to call down any more fire. There'd be no need for a temporary sacrifice because we could know with confidence that we have everything we need to go through this life forever and ever and ever. He goes on, then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there, 850 dead dead. Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went and to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bowed down onto the ground, put his face between his knees, right? Like, Elijah just called down fire from heaven by just making a simple ask. Like, hey, you're Yahweh. Like, you just show people thanks. And it happens. To get rain, Elijah's like on his knees, like, Lord, please, why? Because the sacrifice was to show them the reality of God, the rain was to actually give them and those who hadn't heard more time so they didn't die in a famine. He is more desperate for that than he is the fire of heaven coming down. Then he goes on and he says, then he said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, ah, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back Seven, he's Like one time he calls down fire, it happens. And now it's like, I got to beg God. You ever been there? You think you've had enough? You're done? Like, why doesn't God show up? Well, maybe because you need to go another seven times, another 49 times, another 100 times. I don't know. Maybe God's trying to teach you something different than just letting fire come and solve your problem. He's walking you through a different circumstance. So we went up and looked. And then on the seventh time, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming from the sea. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get the chariot ready. Go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah. He tucked his mantle under his belt, became flash, and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezebel. This is the first, like, flash right here. This is the flash. He's so fast, he gets there before the chariot does. Like, that's pretty cool. I don't know how that happened, but there's a lot of miracles going on here and that's pretty amazing. Maybe the chariot got stuck in the mud and Ahab, you know, went over the hills and took the direct line. I don't, or I mean, Elijah and Ahab got stuck in the mud. I don't know, but so crazy that Elijah, gone. He picks up his mantle like, woo, And he's just running. Like, what a scene, right? And he beats him there. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And when Jezebel was told, she realized Yahweh was God, and she repented, and the entire nation became all better. No, that's not what happened. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Elijah's just called down fire from heaven by God. He killed 850 prophets, okay? He's proven that their gods aren't real, and now Jezebel threatens Elijah with her gods. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, I just beat your gods. Like, wh- I don't really care that your gods are, like, what? Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I'm good. Like, I got, no. And see, it's the same for us. We go out, we share our faith, we do these things, and then a threat comes from something that we're scared of losing, from something that we're concerned about, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're in panic mode. If I've had enough, because if God takes my income away, if he takes this away, if he takes that away, I don't know what I'm going to do. And panic sets in. It says, Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. How? (laughs) How? How do you go from calling down? You've lived three years in a famine, watched joy, oil and flour come out of a jar to feed you. You've raised someone from the dead. you you got flash speed. You've got fire from heaven. And a woman threatens you with fake gods. And you're like, I, I'm I give up. And we're the same way. we got the most powerful God in the universe. And when the threats of the world come at us and the things of this world come at us, we are so weak and childlike and you know what's amazing? God puts up with it, because he does with Elijah. He's like, it's okay, I know, you're just my child. You're like a little kid, it's okay. Because this is what happens. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. He's like, I want to be alone. I'm so miserable, I don't want anybody to encourage me. I want no one around me. Ever been there? Isolate yourself, get away. I'm going to boohoo. get my, me, woes. me. I've been there. And then he says, But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. How do you you go from all these amazing things God has done for you to I got threatened by false gods by a woman that I just killed all of her prophets and now I just want to be dead. We're the same way. We forget all the ways that God has done all these things in Scripture and done things for us and we just get sad and go I've had enough and I just want to be done. He said I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for there's no better, for I'm no better than my fathers. Like, no, you're not any better than your fathers. That's correct. That's a true statement. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And then God sent a giant meter and killed him. No, that's not what he did. I mean, the New Testament tells us this. First Peter says, "Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal among you comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy in the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Jesus, okay, the Messiah, Yahweh who saves, you are blessed because of the spirit of the glory, uh, the, because of the spirit of glory and of the Lord." rest on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel, the good news of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, Jesus has to die. You can't save yourself, right? Jesus had to obey everything in the Old Testament. He had to do all this for us. If that's, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. And Elijah's kind of doing that. He's kind of saying, God, I'm done. You can take me now. I'm entrusting myself to you. I'm a dead man. I don't care anymore. I mean, at least he's doing that. At least he's not like, I'm going to, like, he's not killing himself. He's just saying, I'm done. I'm entrusting myself to you. And God's like, good, glad you... Want to try. Then it says, suddenly, look at this, an angel touched him. Whenever you see the word angel in the Old Testament, be very careful. Because the word means messenger. It doesn't mean a thing with wings flying around that flew through the sky and came down. The word means messenger. Whenever you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, most of the time that phrase is a theophany. It means Jesus showed up. That he is the messenger of the Lord in physical appearance. Right? I mean, the angels typically have to tell them, I'm an angel, I'm Gabriel. Like they have to explain who they are so people don't get confused that it's not the angel of the Lord Jesus showing up in his bodily form to people. This is most likely Jesus showing up to Elijah. In his lowest moment, Jesus appears and touches him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water, so he ate and drank and laid down again. (laughs) He's not even amazed by the angel's like, oh, thanks, give me some bread and water. Have a nice day. And he lays back down. Jesus was right there. He said, get up and eat. And then he says, then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, Elijah, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. On the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. When the word, then the word of the Lord came to him. He said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What happened? You're doing so well. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm done. I quit. Like, what are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. There's nobody but me. Woe is me. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a small whisper. Then the Lord said to him in the small voice, hey, go. Go return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you're about to anoint Hazel, the king over Aram. You're to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, a king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel... Mahola is prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazel and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He just kind of gently explains this to him. Then it goes on and it says, Elijah left there. One more goes Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat as he was plowing. See, I love this. God in a still, small voice says, hey, just go. Just trust me. Stop hiding out. Take the next right step. Take the next right step. I know you've had enough. I've got stuff for you to do. Take the ne- just, just go. I've got this. I've got a plan. Here's my plan. You're a part of that plan. You can trust me. I know you've had enough. But you can trust me. And Elijah left, and he went, and here's what God does. It's so beautiful. When you've had enough, it's always amazing how God will bring someone alongside you when you've had enough. He'll bring an encourager. He'll bring that person next to you. He said he found Elijah, son of Shephat, as he was plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with the twelfth team. They haven't had rain in three years, and he is now getting the oxen plowing because they can finally plant because they've had rain. Like, this is, a, this is a huge moment. He's got to be out there being like, yes, yes, God has provided. Yes, this is awesome. I mean, he's, he's like, finally, I've been waiting to plow. I've been waiting. This is what I've been waiting for. Elijah walked up to him, threw his mantle over him, his cloak. Elijah, Elisha left the oxen and ran to follow Elijah and said, please let me kiss my mother, father and mother, and then I will follow you. This is the same way Jesus said for his disciples to come and follow me. So he turned back from following him, took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. With the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he left, followed Elijah and served him. Well, that's burning the ships. I mean, goodness sakes alive. Like that is like... I just want to go back and kiss my mom and dad and tell them bye. Okay, go fine. And he kisses like, you know, I should probably get rid of all this stuff so I don't think about coming back to it. And he burns it all, and then he throws a big party to tell everybody, I'm following God And with Elijah. I'm not coming back, so I'm having a big party to serve all of you, to celebrate my surrender to Jesus, my surrender to God, and my following him. Everybody come and eat, and I'm cooking it on the yoke. Not, there's nothing to come back to. To have someone, you ready for this, in your life that's willing to follow you like that, oh, there, there's nothing more encouraging than to know that your children are following the Lord. There's nothing that, like, to see that, like, I was so depressed, I was so concerned, what's going to happen to me, and woe is me, and Elijah's like, I'm done, burn, kill the guy, we're gone, I'm with you, oh, I guess I'm doing the right thing. I guess, I guess this is how it's supposed to work. If only more marriages would serve the Lord that way. Matthew goes on to say, as we wrap up, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then in the next passage. It says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside, pulls him aside and says, began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. But he turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, like Elisha does with Elijah. See, you've got to get to a place where you've had enough. And Elijah got to a place where he'd had enough for the wrong reasons. Elisha's at a place where he's had enough for the right reasons, and he abandons it all to say, I want that. Because Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. See, Elijah wanted to lose his life, and God said, nope, I'm saving it for a little bit longer. And Elisha was wanting to save his life. He was going to plow to be sure to provide and have everything. God's like, nope, I'm going to save it. You just trust me. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world? yet loses his life. or what will a man gain in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. I assure you, this is, be confident. There are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And they saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he went up to be with God. They saw the angels. They saw the kingdom. They saw it before they died. Just like Elijah is going to be taken on a chariot and Elisha is going to see it. It's, it's an amazing story. And he says, look, have you had enough? Have you had enough? Have you had enough of your own sin? Have you had enough of our world? Have you had enough that you're finally just going to say, I'm finished? I'm done. If you're in a place where Elijah was, where you really are, like, I just, I'm done. I've had enough. i I just want to lay under a broom tree and die. Tell God that. Like, throw yourself to Him that way. Be like, I'm done, right? Tell others. Tell other people. Be like, I'm done. I'm under a broom tree. Like, you know, I'm sitting in Dunn Meadow. This isn't a broom tree, but it's the closest thing I could find in Bloomington. Great. We'll come alongside you. We'll come find you. We'll encourage you. Remind you that we're following God together. We have a mission. There's something we're trying to do. That's how God's supposed to work. And if you're listening online or you're here today and you haven't come to a place where you've surrendered to Jesus, you haven't come to the place where you've just had enough of the idolatry in your life and the mess in your life, come to Him. He will accept. He wants you to surrender. He he wants you to know that He's enough. He's enough. So if you've had enough, go back to Him. Over and over, it may be you're on your knees calling for rain for a long time. It's okay, eventually it'll come. Because God is just that good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you, you've given us your word, it's enough for us. Lord, that you haven't had enough of us yet, that you're still delaying coming again. Because there are still those that you say we need to go tell about you and to make clear that they know that an end is coming and they need to repent and turn to you. Just like Elijah had to do with the people of his day. And Lord, we don't have to call down fire from heaven because you actually already left heaven and you are the essence of the fire of God and that we have the Holy Spirit which is the fire and breath of God and so we don't need some crazy miracle to convince people we have the greatest miracle that's ever happened in the history of the world that you became man you died and paid a price like no other God would pay and you came back to life to prove that you are who you say you are God Lord, if anyone here has had enough, I pray that they would turn to you to find that you're enough. And Lord, if there's people here that are hardened in their heart, they've said, I've had enough of God, I want to walk away, I pray that they would see that if they do, they're going to be miserable. It's not going to lead where they think it's going to lead. It's going to be miserable. And I pray they would just be honest with you and lay at your feet like Elijah, they would rest in you. They would rest in your provision. They would look for others to come alongside them, to encourage them. And they would get about your business again, even if it's by, by faith one step at a time. And Lord, again, if anyone's not surrendered to you, I pray today would be the day, like Elijah said, choose today. Will you choose Baal or will you choose Yahweh? Stop riding the fence. And I pray today would be the day that people surrender. We pray in your name.